0: Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, you know, that's uh, very important. It's a good reminder that either we are dead or we are not. And I guess we can all uh, examine our own hearts and lives to see whether that is truly true, if, if the commitments that we have made to Christ. If uh, they are being resurrected, or if they are indeed there, or if we are resurrecting um, our old man, if there is such a thing. Um, I guess I'm going to go in a different direction because of some things that um, were on my heart, some experiences. That um, I went through, and uh, just uh, what I see around me in different ways. And that is, I want to speak a little on mercy today the eternal mercy of our Heavenly Father, and how it uh, conducts or how it, how, it, uh, how it works in our own lives and in our own hearts how it comes forth i know there is often in me a tremendous lack where instead of mercy rejoicing over judgment it's judgment rejoicing over mercy and uh, i fo- i forget a lot of times the mercy that uh, christ has shown me on a daily basis in my own uh, life, in my own heart, with my own family, in different ways. And uh, just uh, some things that I see in my my own heart that need some examining and uh, just, you could say, recalibrations. So, uh, before we begin, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we just bow before you and thank you for who you are to us. We thank you that you are our Father in heaven, that you have such a tremendous love for us uh, that never changes, that we have the privilege of calling you our Father, and that we are your sons and your daughters. And we know, Father, how you treat us as sons, that you chasten us when we need to be chastened, that you encourage us when we need to be encouraged, that you lift us up, Father, and rescue us when we need to be rescued. Thank you for your patience and your faithfulness in our lives and for your unending mercy, Father, that you bestow upon us when we cry out to you. We thank you for that gift of mercy, Father, And we pray that we will also extend it to others around us. Lord, that we will not take in our hand, Father, the judgment that is yours, but that we will freely forgive, Lord, and uh, work with other people, Lord, to bring about your kingdom and your glory here on this earth. So that when people look at us, that they see you, coming forth in us we love you and we just want to also continue to lift up Grandpa Zach in the hospital Lord we pray for your presence upon him there your peace overshadow him Lord your comfort upon him and especially also Grandma Rachel Lord as she as they go through this trial their life we just commit it into your hands thank you for your faithfulness Lord, in accomplishing everything that is in your will, your desire. We give it into your hands, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, where would we be without the mercy of God in our lives? We continually have to ask ourselves this question. Is my life pleasing to God? What would help you determine if your life is pleasing to the Lord? Would it be based on how many times a week you're having devotions and Bible studies or prayer? Or how well you're keeping your anger under control? Or maybe whether you're keeping your thoughts in check or rein them in? Or whether you're faithful in your duties? What would be the things on your list? Is my life pleasing to the Lord? And yes, these things are all very important. Very important. To know the will of God for our lives and to walk in it faithfully. But I think one of the things that, especially in my life, with uh, how I look at things is one of the most important attributes that I can possess and impart to others is mercy. And uh, I ask myself this question, is mercy evident in my life? Am I a merciful person? What happens when someone comes against me, you could say, with things that I don't like? Or is mercy not really that important? Why do we put so much weight on it? And the, the definition I have here is mercy is a love that responds to human need in an unexpected or unmerited way. So again, a love that, ex- that responds to human need in an unexpected or unmerited way. At its core, you could say then, mercy is forgiveness. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one power, one's power to punish or harm, and that could be either physically or through words or different ways. So, in the example that that I have as a, as a startup is a thief on the cross. So hanging on crosses at Jesus' right and left hand are two criminals. I think we can picture that. And they were indeed criminals, evildoers, one who commits gross misdeeds or serious crimes. The Romans did not just, I mean, sure they had their, their wicked ways, but for the most part, they, they, um, when they crucified someone, It was because they had committed serious crimes. And some of the other gospels calls them robbers, highwaymen, bandits. Um, Though they could have been common thieves, they also might have been the kinds of highwaymen that swooped down on lonely groups of travelers from Jerusalem to Jericho, stripped them of their possessions and left them for dead, as is in the case of the victim of the Good Samaritan. So, the same Greek word is used to describe them. Bandits like these two were a uh, terror to travelers. Those who were able to travel in larger parties. So, maybe there were people like that. They they, um, attacked travelers, stole their goods, and we know that they also harmed the people. And... uh, One of these highwaymen or these robbers or thieves or whatever you want to call them um, is jeering along with the soldiers and saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And again, he is probably doing what he's always done is uh, just uh, disregarding authority. And this is who he is a pulling down of everyone to one's own level. A thief is making fun of Jesus' inability to do anything despite the exalted title of Messiah and asking, where is the Messiah now? But we know the other man. The criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? He said, since we are under the same sentence of death, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So this man fully acknowledged his sins. He knew that he was not innocent. He knew he was hanging there on the cross because of what he had done to others. That was justly deserved. And he had uh, he didn't make excuses. And it's funny the phrasing that he used. Don't you fear God? Um, you kind of wonder where that phrase would have been as in as uh, prior life, or but he did. It does seem like he came to his senses, and then he turns to Jesus and he says, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." So somehow, some way. He had been given this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, because he says, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." That's a pretty um, it's a pretty profound statement coming from someone that's hanging on the cross uh, dying for his sins, you could say. And Jesus responds by saying, "Today you will be with me in paradise." That's all he says. So, by any measure, this statement is astounding. Jesus' other disciples have fled or linger at the edges of the crowd, but here on the cross to one side, a fellow condemned man, life ebbing out of him, looks across and sees not another dying man but the Messiah himself. Somehow he understands that Jesus is not an imposter and that he will still receive the kingdom that belongs to Jesus, to the Messiah. And at the very end of his life, he received mercy. As he turned from his sin, Christ extended forgiveness to him in his final hours of life. That's quite something. And it's just a picture again of a man who wasted his life by harming others, stealing, taking things that were not his, and basically wreaking havoc on people's lives. And here at the very end, you could say this man justly deserves his punishment and he deserves to go to hell. And yet... As soon as he turned and repented from his sin, Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of father or savior that we serve. And I am sure Jesus was grieved countless times with this man during his life. You could say that he, he probably wept many tears over him. But yet, again, as soon as he turned and repented, Christ extended forgiveness and mercy to him. And on the other hand, on the other side, he had a man that chose not to repent, that chose to continue to ridicule and to despise his uh, creator and master. And I do believe mercy would have been extended to him as well. But he chose a different path. So this gives us a good idea of the meaning of mercy. We think of clemency as another word for mercy, but mercy is the gracious attitude of one who sits in the seat of authority, toward one who has given offense by breaking, by the breaking of the law. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward the undeserving. Mercy is his pitying kindness toward the hell-deserving. Grace bestows what we do not deserve. Mercy does not mete out to us what we deserve. And that's exactly what it is. It is a free gift given to us, even when we don't deserve it. And you could look at your own life and say, well, where do I receive that? I mean, I I earn my forgiveness and my mercy. But it is not so. So let's begin by looking at our merciful Father, And here is one of the best passages in Scripture that shows us who and how our Father is, how he is like. And again, if you think of the thief on the cross, you will see this glimpse of who he is. So in Exodus 34, 5, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, and God told Moses that no man can see his face and live, but that he would... Hide him in the cleft of a rock and pass by. And here's what he said when he passed by. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. This is how God decided to reveal himself to a man. And this is how God decided to um explain himself to a man of who he is who how his character is and you could say it is a mix of judgment and mercy that by no means the guilty are cleared but as soon as people turn he is willing and ready to extend mercy as we see Even from the story of the prodigal son. He was sitting there waiting as soon as the person um, turns. But they have to turn. That's the thing. He actually, it's interesting that he didn't go running after them or looking for them, but that he is waiting. And as soon as they turn, we know what he did then. So God hates sin more than any person, and his anger is to be feared. God's attitude is that sin and evil must be overcome and conquered. By sheer power, he could destroy evil men. But this would be inconsistent with his love and mercy. God's primary goal is not to see that men are punished, but that they are saved. And it's important to understand that is to have this mentality in us as well. So many times when we see an injustice, when we see the world acting up, we're kind of like James and John who say, Lord, they're rejecting you. Why don't you just call down the fire and destroy them? But God's primary goal is not to see that men are punished, but that they are saved. And yes, he does use chastening, a chastening rod to do this. So he does not use, we could say, the force that, of killing someone with fire from heaven. Because that would be mere victory through power and not a victory through love. God will punish the sinner. But before he does, he seeks all possible ways to win the sinner or the lost sheep back to the fold. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. This has ever been God's program of mercy. One of the first questions in the Bible is God asking Adam, Adam, where art thou? From that point on, the Bible is a story of a search. It's a search of God for all possible means to confront men in their sin with his mercy. God knows that we are but dust. He knows the folly and sin of man and the advantage they will try to take of his love. But God so loves his people and all people that even when he is forced to send judgment on them as primary thought, is on how to restore them to himself. And we see this in many, many different stories in the Bible. God is a God of reconciliation. So he is a God whose desire is to reconcile mankind to himself again. You can look, you can read throughout the Bible. That is the story to reconcile sinful mankind to himself again. He says in Isaiah 54, 7 to 8, he says, For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing wrath, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. So... We know that God does not treat sin lightly. We know that no one will make a fool of him. He will judge and condemn. But he is ever seeking a way to reconcile sinner and grant them a merciful pardon. The wicked man is welcome on his dying day to say yes to God's mercy. So if we are going to imitate Christ and his mercy, then we must recognize that it does not mean that we never judge or condemn sin. But it means that even when it is necessary to judge, we do not write off the offender, but we do all we can to be reconciled. And I guess, I guess this for me is, is the part that is, I struggle with the most. Because a lot of times in my life when I see someone blatantly being rebellious, I tend to distance myself from them. And uh, to just, you know, okay, Lord, this is, this, is, uh, this is yours. I can't deal with it. I can't handle it. And uh, not even putting in an effort, you could say. In trying to reconcile. In trying to understand. A person's journey. Or what they have gone through. And that a lot of times. uh, the fruits that we see. In a person's life are simply. Coming from a deeper root. Of bitterness or hurt. Or things like that. So instead of just. Ignoring and avoiding um, we can just try to connect with people and talk to people. And I find that when I do that, prayer even is hindered um. When you just distance yourself from a person, you find that you don't even pray for that person. So, and another thing that I feel that God, in His mercy, has given to us is a conscience. Um, our conscience. Have you ever thought of your conscience as something good? Is it something to be valued? Or is it like a nuisance rising up against you when you want to basically indulge in the flesh? Conscience is a God-given gift of mercy that helps us discern or walk in truth and righteousness. But we know we can also destroy or sear our consciences through stubborn disobedience. With having this thing, with having this uh, idea that God will be merciful, and that he is, uh, I, can, I can just do this now and ask for forgiveness later. This type of mentality can be very evident in our lives, justifying things in our lives that are clearly separating us from God and drawing us away from him. And uh, God is more inclined to mercy than to wrath. Mercy is his attribute he most delights in displaying to man. He doesn't delight in his wrath upon man, but he delights to show them his love and mercy. In Micah 7, verses 18 to 19, it says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighted in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is the heart of God. Pardoned iniquity. And there's this one line here, because he delighted in mercy. And in Lamentations, verse 3 to 30, uh, or Lamentations chapter 3, verses 32 and 33, it says, But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. God does not grieve nor afflict men willingly, but he does so only upon great provocation. A lot of times as we read through the Bible and we we look at those stories of Sodom and Gomorrah or of uh, the flood or of different judgments upon God's people, we we tend to think of them as in a short time frame. But it's actually not. They are not short time frames. They, and... uh, But it it does seem like that at some point, God's patience is is done. He has done all he can, it seems like. And uh, he then brings about his judgment. And the illustration for that is... um, example of that would be, that, that I could see, would be a honeybee. Um, there's many things in, the, uh, in nature, the animal kingdom, where you look at animals and generally if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. But for the most part, honeybee, we know that the chief or the main business of a honeybee would say, is the chief business of a honeybee to sting people? Is that what it does? Is that what it was created to do? No, we know that the chief business of a honeybee is to produce honey. And that's the delight of the honeybee. That's what it does, and uh, it just happily lives its short life doing that. And if you provoke him, if you step on one or provoke him, it will sting. But we do know that that's not his purpose in life. It's not as joy in life to sting people. Um, but it is to produce honey for the hive. So in other w- words, you could look at, This attribute, say God, is similar. That it is not his delight to be wrathful to men and to women upon the earth. But his delight is to give us his kingdom. His delight is to cause us to be prosperous in our spiritual lives. In overcoming the things in our lives that hinder us. And in Jeremiah 44, verse 22, it says, So that the Lord could no longer bear because of the abominations which he have committed. So we know this, we know that at times his patience is done. And a lot of times we look at those instances and we question God. And we say, why couldn't there have been a better way? Is there, was this the right thing to do here? And uh, a lot of people think that it's not right. You made a mistake. The question is, I guess, it, does God ever make a mistake? And I think we could all say no. Is that there is a reason for everything that he does. And that he will, uh, he will um, go to the full limit of whatever he is desiring to bring about in people. So we see this also, with, as I mentioned before, with Noah and the flood. There came a time, and it says that, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Oh, this is... Uh, it's quite something for for God to say. And... You look at this and you say, surely that can't be true. I mean, that's, it can't be true that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. I think if God wrote it, then we can most definitely say it was true. And we know what God told Noah is that human sin had reached an awful climax. Sooner or later, his results must have swept the human race from the earth. And I think you could say, this is my opinion, God, before mankind destroyed themselves completely, he basically hastened the, uh, the, the um, outcome With the flood. And we cannot say that he was not merciful. He sent Noah to preach. For a hundred years. It took a long time to build and In the meantime. He was telling people to come in. And of course we know what happened. But anyway. We also know that he told Noah at the end. That the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it. That I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And God has indeed kept his promise with that. This everlasting covenant of this bow in the sky. So every time we see this rainbow in the sky, God sees it and remembers the covenant he has made with Noah. So we're living in an age, as we all know, where the rainbow has been hijacked by people for their own evil intentions. But I think that even that symbol in the sky is still sending out to those very same people a sign of mercy. The symbol that they hijacked is still showing them that there is mercy and forgiveness. And that God stands by what he covenanted. That God's mercy and forgiveness is there if they will turn from their sin repent and come to him and He will receive. they will be received with open arms. He is constantly entreating people. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. Again he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And in Revelation 22, 17, And whosoever will, let, when whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So he is constantly calling sinners to come to himself. Constantly trying to, To get their attention. So there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner comes to repentance. We can know, we we find this verse in the Bible. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner comes to repentance. Imagine that. Rejoicing in heaven about a sinner that comes to repentance. And we cannot treat his mercy as just a flippant thing in our lives. Like Jacob mentioned, um, halfway in the box, or we're halfway committed, or we don't want to let some of the things go in our lives. So it is, if we do this, it is to make mercy our enemy. And when mercy becomes the prosecutor, then all are convicted. None can escape. To sin because mercy abounds is the enemy's logic. And yet that's what many people are doing. They think, well, I'll do what the thief on the cross did. I'll be saved before I die. Right now, I can't really give this up. It's too important in my life. But we all know it doesn't work that way. This is like one who wounds his head because he's got a box full of bandages to put on it. It's not very sensible, is it? Like one who says, well, I've got all these bandages here. They're just sitting around, so I'll just cut myself so I can use them. And uh, it's not... It's not a good logic to have. And it shows us that we don't really trust our Heavenly Father and we don't really love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul and strength. It's something different to fall. Um, It's something different to commit to lose your temper, you know, instantaneously or something like that. But to actually think something out, go and do it on the premise that God will be merciful to me. I think there's, there's a pretty big difference in that. So, I have a short story here that I've used before. But I couldn't really find one that illustrates the point better. Of how it acts in our lives, or how it should act in our lives. It says it's, uh, it says here that Doctor Cronin was raised in the strict tradition that if one did wrong, they were to be punished. Justice demanded it. So, in 1921, when he, he took the post of medical officer in an isolated district in North Cumberland, England, he was young and inexperienced. Um. But though trembling, he one night performed a tracheotomy on the throat of a small boy choking with diphtheria. He inserted the tube and gave a sigh of relief as the boy's lungs filled with air. He then went to bed, leaving the sick boy in the care of a nurse. So that's, as as you probably know, that's a very delicate procedure where they make a hole in your throat and insert a tube because you're choking. It can go wrong very quickly. So some na- sometime in the night, the tube filled with mucus, and the boy began to choke. Instead of cleaning the tube, as any good nurse should have done, the girl fled in panic to get the doctor. When Dr. Cronin arrived, the patient was deceased. His anger blazed at such blundering negligence, and he decided right there he would ruin her career. "'He wrote a bitter letter to the county health board "'and read it to her with burning indignation. "'The 19-year-old Welsh girl listened in silence, "'half-fainting with shame and misery. "'But finally she stammered, "'Give me another chance.' "'He shook his head and sealed the envelope "'as she slipped away. "'That night he could not sleep. "'Give me another chance,' kept echoing through his mind. "'Deep inside he knew he wanted to send that letter for revenge.' And not because of his love for justice. With morning came the light of mercy. uh, With morning came, when morning came, the light of mercy came as well. And he tore up the letter. Twenty years later, he wrote: "Today, the nurse who erred so fatally is the matron of the largest children's home in Wales. Her career has been a model of service and devotion." So, I just put myself kind of in this man's shoes. And uh, you can easily, I mean, you wonder what would have happened to this girl if he would have done this, where she would have ended up. But you can see the outcome of what did happen when it chose not to do this. And, and of course this was a it was a, a it was a terrible thing for this boy to, to die. And I'm sure the parents grieved a lot and uh, maybe I don't know if they found out what happened or not, but It's just mercy on a human level has saved many lives from being tragically wasted because of some sin, error, failure, or folly. So, how do I react when my brother or sister messes up or is caught in a sin? Am I merciful? What comes out of me in that time? And it's just, uh, it's a challenge to us that no, we do not just ignore things and pretend that they didn't happen. I think that's also not merciful. But it depends, it's like disciplining your children. If every time your child messes up, all you do is grab the strap and strap them, basically. I think that's the easy way out. If if we cannot just, if we cannot sit down and explain why we're doing this and what we are doing, then it's simply, I don't think it's the right approach. And it's the same way and as we as we journey together, when we see a brother or a sister that uh, is not walking in the light, or that did something that they weren't supposed to, do we take the easy way out? Like I said, for me, it's simply just ignoring and pretending I didn't see it, or didn't hear it, or do we actually try to restore? And bring reconciliation. So, a lot of times we have this, we also have this story of uh, this woman that was brought before Christ by the self righteous. Pharisees, they brought her and they said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And we know what he said. He said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So he didn't stop them from doing what they were about to do. But the crowd hushed. And we know that uh, they all left from the youngest to the oldest. And he looked at her and he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, from, go and sin no more. So it is important When we come to a person, that we come with a clear heart. And if you look at this story and you think of yourself, well, that's just, that's that's not right. She was caught and she should have been punished. I mean, it's not right for her to just be let go like that. Because she, she, uh, she was caught. And the law does say that she is to be punished. We forget that um, he did, God, this sin was paid for. God fully intended for this sin of adultery to be punished to the full extent of his law. But she would not bear the punishment. She would go free. Christ would be punished for her. And it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So her sin was punished, and Christ took the punishment from that sin. So our sins, the lusts, the destructive tongues, the murderous hatred, corrupting greed, treachery, stand exposed before God as clearly as the woman's sins in that temple courtyard. (coughs) Our shameful guilt is obvious, and our condemnation is justified. And yet the Son of God comes with these stunning words, Neither do I condemn you. Why? Because he has been condemned in our place. And I think a lot of times we forget that. That when we came to Christ, he freely forgave us. He took our place on that cross. So Jesus was the only one in the crowd that day who could. In perfect righteousness required the woman's death. And he was the only one who could, in perfect righteousness, pardon her. But mercy triumphed over judgment. And hopefully it's the same for us. And I've heard stories where this has happened. Where a person was caught in sin. And the Brotherhood chose instead of really hammering the person and doing that, the mercy triumphed over judgment and the person was reinstated and has been a, and is a blessing to the community. And it's very good to see. So let us always keep these things before our eyes and our hearts. We serve a just and a merciful God. So I want to close with Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So again, we do not, not ignore sin. That's the easy way out. We deal with it in our own lives and in the lives of others. But we always deal with it, with a sense of reconciliation. And if this is not the case, then we're handling it the wrong way. If reconciliation is not the key or the, uh, the foremost principal part of why we discipline and what we do, then I don't think we're handling it the right way. It is to restore, again, as God's heart is throughout the whole Bible, is to restore mankind to himself and to rebuild that relationship. So, God bless you.